Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Genesis chapter 29, we're continuing our verse-by-verse walk through this book, and we started... If you remember a couple months ago, it's been, it's been six or eight weeks since we were here, I got maybe four weeks with Brother Ryan uh, in Genesis, but we started a series that I entitled Jacob's Journeys, Instructions for Life from a Father of Israel. And uh, this morning, what we're going to see is, you, you, how many of you know the company 23andMe, they do the family histories, you can send them and they tell you like where your grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were from? We're going to do a little 23andMe family tree of the nation of Israel and uh, wh- where they came from, the 12 tribes of Israel, God's promised people, the, the same nation that endures to this day that is currently uh, in deadly conflict with Hamas, that same nation, we're going to see where it began. And by the way, may I just stop and say, the Bible does tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I hope that you're praying for all that's taking place in that region of the world and uh, uh, the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, God's promised people through whom, through whom the Messiah would come. He would send His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, through the Jewish people. And uh, the first book of Genesis, I don't have time this morning. We're already about 25 minutes past when I would normally be preaching. And so I don't have time for a bunch of review, but really the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, can be kind of summarized in God created everything, then man messed everything up. Don't you have a tendency to do that sometimes? And then God began to unfold his redemption plan for the world through the nation of Israel. And so there are really four really big key characters in Genesis. We've studied and we're studying the third of those four. I mean, there are some in the nation of Israel, I should say. You have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three are the patriarchs and the fathers of Israel. We're on number three. We've already looked at Abraham's life and Isaac's life. And then we'll see in a few chapters, we'll get to the life of Joseph. We're going to see where Joseph was born today. Those are kind of the four biggest characters or or, uh, people in the history of Israel in the book of Genesis. And so um, that's where we find ourselves. Abraham, of course, had received the promise from God that God would bless the whole world through his family. And that would be done through Jesus coming through the lineage of Abraham. And then God repeated that promise to Isaac. And then we saw in my first message in this series on Jacob's journeys, God repeated that promise to Jacob. And uh, and then we're going to see now, anytime you read through the Old Testament, you'll often see it talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. And again, What's the big deal about knowing Israel's history? The big deal is that was God's plan for bringing salvation, redemption, forgiveness to the whole world after man had messed everything up. And and so you'll see the 12 tribes of Israel. Today is where you're going to learn where those came from. I'll be honest. I kind of wish I was preaching a different message. We have a whole lot of guests and family members. And today, God's Word's amazing, but it's a little more of a a little bit of a history lesson. We're learning some things. I think we'll have some good takeaways from it. It's not, I don't have a bunch of funny stories today. I don't have any amazing illustrations today. We're just going to walk through the Bible. But I guess 
God's word is sufficient for us, right? And I guess it'll be okay if all we do is walk through the Bible and I don't, I don't share my amazing sense of humor with you this morning. Come back next week and maybe I will. And if you've been around for any length of time, you might not come back next week then if, if that's the promise. So we're going to walk through this family history, and then we're going to wrap it up with a few valuable takeaways that this imperfect family, it started as a family, turned into a nation, this imperfect family can teach our Israel of Jacob's family today. This family history of Israel, of Jacob's family, the, the tale we're going to look at today is a sordid tale of deceit, of hatred, of polygamy, of despair, of sibling rivalry, of animosity, of anger, selfish sin and you thought your family had it bad. We're gonna see a whole bunch of stuff today as we walk through and look at Jacob's descendants. That is our message this morning. We saw in week one, Jacob's dream, and then we saw in week two, Brother Ryan preached on Jacob's delays, and we're gonna see today uh, Jacob's descendants. Jacob, if you have your Bibles in Genesis 29, I hope you'll follow along. We're going to look at a couple dozen, dozen verses this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I will encourage you to get one. I think there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. It's the first book of the Bible, Genesis 29. I always encourage people to follow along for themselves, especially a day like today where we're going to be looking back and forth to the Bible quite a bit. If you, if you have an app on your phone or tablet where you're reading from the Bible, I'll be preaching from the King James uh, Version of the Bible this morning if you'd like to follow along and if we read anything aloud together. And so Genesis 29, my wife, we're going to look at his descendants. The last message Brother Ryan preached while my wife and I were uh, gone out of, out of country, um, he talked about the fact that Jacob married two sisters. Can you imagine? He married sisters, Leah, he married one unwillingly and the other willingly. He wanted to marry Rachel, and Rachel's dad said, if you'll work for me for seven years, then you can marry my daughter Rachel. And again, you thought your father-in-law was bad. You have to work for me for seven years. And what happened on the wedding night was, I don't know if there was a veil, I'm not sure if they didn't, their candles all went out, I don't know what happened, but on the wedding night, he got Leah. The Bible says Leah was the uglier, unwanted one. The Bible said it, not me. He ends up with Leah, the one he didn't want. And father-in-law says, because he had found out that when Jacob worked for him, business went really good. Jacob was good for the bottom line. He wanted to keep him around. So he thought, I'll give him. Plus, Leah, the dad might have been thinking, might never get married. So you have the one that I want to get rid of, and then I'll give you the one that you want. So he said, work for me for seven more years. So Jacob worked for 14 years for his two wives, only getting one that he wanted. That's where we find ourselves in Genesis 29, beginning in verse number 30. The Bible says, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Verse 31, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God allows kind of the unwanted wife to be able to bear children. Verse Rachel, and Leah conceived, at this point could not bear children. Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bare a son. And she called his name what, church? She called his name what? Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. In, in the Bible times, um, they often named their children based on what that, that name meant. Today, we kind of like get a book and what sounds really cool, right? We'll name our kids like, what do I, what's kind of stylish or what do I like? Sometimes people name them for other reasons, but here they name them based on kind of how they were feeling or what it represented. And so she has, we see Jacob's 12 sons, which are going to become the 12 tribes. The first four sons that were born to him were by Leah. 
We see Reuben, and his, word, his name means, look, a son. In the Hebrew, the name sounds like, God has seen my affliction. That his name, when you say it in Hebrew, is what it sounds like. So basically, we see Reuben, she says, God has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. Because I gave him a son, now he him to appreciate me and love me. And that was Reuben. God's looked on my affliction. Look, a son is what his name literally means. Now look at verse 33. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon means the Lord has heard. Reuben carried the idea of the Lord has seen. God has seen my affliction, Simeon. God has heard. What, did, what had God heard? I believe God had heard that her sister Rachel had been unkind to her. God had heard that her husband Jacob had not treated her well. God had heard her cries for love and for a child. God had heard. And so, Simeon, it means the Lord has heard or one who hears. God has heard my sister's all toward me. He has heard my husband's unkindness toward me. He has heard my affliction and my plea to him to find love and acceptance. And may I stop and say, I love the reminder from the first two sons and, and what their names mean. It's a good reminder for every one of us. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're walking through. But may I just stop and say, God does see what you're walking through. And when we cry out to him, God does hear. The Bible says he, he, he hears. He has ears that he can hear. He has eyes that he can see. God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. God, does, doesn't it sometimes feel like, does anybody care? Does anybody see? Does anybody hear? Man sometimes fails us, but God never does. Look a son, and Simeon, the Lord has heard, or one, see that with Leah, Reuben, look a son, and Simeon, the Lord has heard, or one who hears, verse 34, and she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons, therefore was his name called, what church? Levi, that name means attachment, or to be joined. What do you see in her words there? A lonely, forlorn, scorned wife looking for companionship and acceptance. I've had three sons. Now my husband will be joined to me. Now he'll be attached to me. Now he'll really love me. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. And left. Therefore she called his name what? Judah. And left bearing. You know what I see in Judah. Judah means praise. You know what I see? Eventually, eventually Leah stopped focusing on the hurts of man and started focusing on gratitude and thanksgiving and praise to God. I'm going to keep lurking for, for acceptance and so this, maybe, maybe if I do this, that person will really love me. And maybe if I do that, and maybe I can find God's or a man's acceptance this way. And here we see Leah by the fourth one. She said, I'm done focusing on what, how man has let me down. And I'm just going to praise God for his blessings in my life. Wouldn't that be a good lesson for us to walk out of here to meet with? I'm done living my life based on how someone has hurt me in the past, and I'm just going to focus on praise to God. I'm just going to focus on what he has done. And by the way, if you live any length of time on this earth, people will hurt you, and you will hurt people. It's part of life. You can't get around it, but you and I have a choice when we walk through the hurts and the trials of life. Will we focus on, well, maybe if I do this and maybe that, and my husband still doesn't love me, or will we stop and say, God, 
I'm going to stop focusing on man for a little bit. I'm just going to praise you for what you've done. I'm not going to focus on man's mistreatment. I'm going to focus on God's love and blessing. I'm doing pretty good. Four of the 12. We're going pretty quickly, aren't we? How many of you are calculating right now? That was like a minute and a half per child. How much longer is family going to go? Don't focus on your disappointments, church family. Focus on his provision and blessing and faithfulness. By the way, her last two boys there, Levi, Levi will end up being the the priestly tribe of the Israelites. They'll be the ones that are taking care of the house of God, that are handling the spiritual matters. What What a legacy. What a wonderful blessing. What about Judah? He'll be, but her son was attached to God. What about Judah? He'll be, Judah's lineage, Judah's descendants will become the kingly tribe. The kings and priests of Israel will come from Levi and Judah. By the way, we call Jesus in, I think it's Revelation, where he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus will end up coming through Judah. So while she's focused on, on a man that has let me down, literally Leah's blood would flow in the veins of Moses and Aaron and David and Christ the Messiah. In the midst of her deep depression, God was blessing her beyond what she could ever imagine. And you and I never Never know what God is doing in our lives, in the midst, even in spite of what man has done. Chapter 30, verse number one. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Oh man, comparison is a bad thing in our lives. And she said unto Jacob, give me children or else I what? If you don't give me a son, why am I living? This was her, her, her rivalry with her sister, her jealousy with her sister was so deep. I've got to have a child. Give me a child or else I die. Verse 2, and Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead who has withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? By the way, do you see something here? Both Rachel and Leah, they both wanted what the other one had. Leah wanted the love of Jacob. Rachel wanted children. You know, it's human nature to want what you feel like God hasn't given you. If your hair is naturally straight, what do you have at home, ladies? A curling iron. I don't know if we really do it anymore. I'm not sure. I'm not up to date on ladies' hairstyle fashions. But getting a perm, I remember as a kid, my grandma would go and get a perm all the time. Why? If your hair is naturally curly, what do you own? A straightener. A flat iron. And there's nothing wrong with that. My wife was using a straightener today. There's nothing wrong with that. But isn't it interesting? I've traveled. If, if you are paler in complexion, we want to lay out and get tanned or go to the tanning beds. I've been to Cambodia the first time, some, some Asian countries. First time I was in Cambodia, I walked by a place, and you could go in, and it was skin whitening. They want to get lighter, pale, lighter shades of skin. If you're lighter, sometimes we want to get dark. What is it? Whatever we don't have, we kind of want. And be careful of comparison. The Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. And we see little lessons here. Be careful how you treat your loved ones when you face disappointments and unmet expectations in life. I do want to stop here and mention Jacob understood that children were a gift from God. He said, am I in the stead of God? who has withheld the the fruit of the womb from you. 
Jacob understood that it is God that chooses to or not to allow a lady to give birth, that God brings that. He understood that is not something man is supposed to be in control of. God is the giver of life. And this isn't my message, but I just want to stop and say that God is still the giver of life, and we are not in control of deciding when a life should end, including the life of an unborn child. It is God that gives the fruit of the womb. God's word is still distinctly and directly against abortion of any kind. Psalm 127 verse number three says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his what? Reward. It's a gift. By the way, it's not, it doesn't say the fruit of the womb is a clump of cells. No, it's an unborn child made in the image of God. Let us not forget that God is the giver of life. Our, name, our days are numbered by him. He is the one that knows our birth date and our death date. And we, as we have become advanced in our technology and advanced in our, in our scientific discoveries, we have tried to come in and play God. Be very careful about that. They're a gift from God and should be treated as such. Then we see not only four by Leah, but four by Bilhah and Zilpah. Bilhah and Zilpah were handmaids. They were what you might call slave wives. They were indentured servants in the home that helped um, the wife. So Rachel had one and Leah had one. And the law in those days was if you could, if you chose to, you could give your... Now, this wasn't the biblical law. This was against God's, God's uh, principles. But the law of the land was that you could give your handmaid to your husband if you were barren. And if she had a baby, that baby legally would be yours. So look what happens. Jacob understood he couldn't play God. He said, I'm not in God's stead to give you a child, but Rachel thought she could play God. So Rachel says, well, if I'm not going to have one, look what happens in verse number three. And she said, behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. The word Dan, the name Dan means judged or vindicated. Now God has finally vindicated me. He's finally given me a child, even though it was through my handmaid. Now I'm vindicated. Now I'm finally, I finally have what I want. And was it going to be enough? Let's see. Verse number seven. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. And I, do you see it there? I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali means wrestlings or my struggle. What is it? I'm winning. Hey, Leah, take that. I've been wrestling with my sister, but now I've got the two little ones. I've got the babies. Jacob loves me, and I have two kids. My wrestlings, I, I, I can picture her walking around with the baby and kind of walking by Leah's tent and showing it off. And, hey, Jacob, let's get a selfie right here with Naphtali, and let's post that online with the hashtag winning and uh, better than my sister and whatever that might be. This is what the idea is. Do you see this vindictiveness? And, and I've been wrestling with my sister, and I've prevailed. Take that, Leah. Verse number nine. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. Leah said, two can play that game. You got a handmaid? I've got a handmaid. Hey, Jacob, why don't you take, take, take my, my handmaid? Let's see what happens. Verse number 10. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop cometh. And she called his name Gad. Gad means good fortune or luck has come. 
I kind of view it as she named him, like, look who's back in the wind column, Rachel. Your, your handmaid did it, so can mine. I'm one lucky woman, good fortune. A troop comes, the idea, a troop cometh. Kind of what we would say if somebody, we have, my wife and I, God has blessed us with five children. And sometimes people will say, oh, you have a starting five. I think that's kind of the idea here. A troop comes, I've got my own little army. I've got a starting five. Leah's got five kids now. Look at that, it's five to two. Scoreboard, Rachel, scoreboard. Verse number 12. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bear Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. Asher means happy. All of our children have two middle names. The second one is a Bible name that our, uh, my wife's brother, their uncle, gave them at birth. Trey, our fourth child, his second middle name is Asher. Asher means happy. He's Trey, Elijah, Asher, Thompson. And so Asher here means happy, but why is she happy? Oh, now everyone's going to be impressed by me. The daughters are going to think I'm really something special. Do you see how toxic it was, always looking for that approval from other places? Leah says, everyone is going to know that God loves me more. Now, we're almost through this. I'm going to give you five takeaways that are not going to take me long at all. Each one will be less than a minute, and we're going to be on our way. Do you see? There's a funny story here. Look at verse 14. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest. Reuben is about a little four-year-old boy. Reuben is, is Leah's little boy, went in the day for a flower from a certain wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Mandrakes were a flower from a certain plant. They, called, they were called love apples. They were believed to have, have for, uh, uh, properties of helping with fertility or barrenness. Now, that was more superstitious than scientific, but they believed that these would, they called them love apples. These would help um, a lady to bear children. So Reuben comes back with mandrakes from the field, little four-year-old Reuben, and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. Remember, Rachel still is not had her own child physically. She's not given birth to, to, to a child physically yet. So she's still a discontented in her lot in life. And he says in verse 15, Leah said unto her, is it a small my matter that thou hast taken my husband? You've got Jacob and now you want my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. Uh, so we see here, basically, Leah, uh, Rachel, she says, Rachel says, if you'll give him to me, he can come stay with you tonight. And her plan backfires because it's still going to be several years before Rachel has a child. The mandrakes don't help with anything. But what we see in verse number 16, the next four we're going to see are four by Leah and Rachel. Verse number 16, and Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night, and God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. Issachar means wages. I paid for my, my husband to, to be with my husband for that night. I paid for that. Issachar, it's my wages. My payment has come to fruition. Issachar. Then in verse 19, and Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. This is six biological plus the two from her handmaid. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. Zebulun means dwelling. Again, I, I, I skipped over it there, but in verse number 19, you, you, or verse number um, uh, you see there her talking about 
She's thinking the next season, the next child, the next achievement is what's going to finally make her happy. Zebulun means dwelling. What she thinks is, now my husband will finally dwell with me. Now that never would happen. We don't, we don't ever have record that Jacob had a change of heart. He cared for Leah because he kind of had to. He was obligated to. But Rachel was always the one that he truly loved. But isn't it interesting? Now, while Jacob never dwelt with, with Leah, Zebulun means dwelling. You know who did dwell in Zebulun? The Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born in Nazareth, which is in where the tribe of Zebulun was. Christ would come to dwell in Zebulun's tribe there in Nazareth. And then we come to verse 21. And afterwards, she bare a daughter, called her name Dinah. We'll, we'll get to her in a couple weeks. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach, verse 24. And she called his name, what church? And said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph. Joseph means may he add. So now Rachel finally has given birth biologically to her first son, Joseph. And isn't it interesting that even in having Joseph, she's still not contented. May he add another son. I still need more. By the way, you can see now with all these dynamics why Joseph was his father's favorite. Why, why they made him a little coat, Joseph's coat of many colors. You can see why his brothers hated him so. Joseph was the firstborn son of his beloved wife, Rachel. And then we, in chapter 35, we'll see it in a few weeks, God does give her that extra son, Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. Rachel will actually end up dying in childbirth with, with Jacob's 12th son. So we have six biologically um, from Leah, two from each of their handmaids, and two biologically from Rachel. Rachel will die in childbirth with the birth of her second son, Benjamin, in Genesis 35. I want to show you real fast a map of the 12 tribes a little later after this as these families, these 12 sons ended up having children. That is Israel even today, modern day. You can see that's, and you would have, you have Gaza over there on the left. That's been in the news a lot recently. And as these tribes, as their families grew, they began to divide space. And that is what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. Today, a verse-by-verse walk through a book Coming to a passage that's a little hard to preach, it's a little more informational and a little less inspirational, if you will, a little more of a Bible study and a Bible lesson, um, not as much practical application of truth, and thank you for sticking with me through that. That being said, I do think there's some very practical and relevant truths that we can glean from this narrative. One, we learned more about the Bible, hopefully, today, and understood a little more about the narrative that's so important. But I want to give you five thoughts. I'll spend less than a minute on each one. Number one. What do we learn and take away from this passage? Number one, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Keeping up with the Joneses is, a, is an endless pursuit. Be careful. The Bible says comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. You know what social media has done for all of us? It has caused all of us to compare our blooper-filled lives with everyone else's highlight reel. And there is no such thing as a life that's all highlight reels, but that's all we post on social media. 
And we're living our life, why couldn't I have a husband like that? Why couldn't I have a wife like that? Why couldn't that happen? Why couldn't my kids have achieved that? What about that? And comparison is the thief of joy. Rachel had a loving husband, but that wasn't enough. Leah had been blessed with multiple children, but that wasn't enough. God was using both of them to fulfill his plan, but that wasn't enough. Why? Because they were constantly comparing Rachel and Leah. And may I challenge each one of us, let's stop comparing what God has or hasn't done for us or what we feel like God has or hasn't given us. Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let's learn to trust God, to rejoice in where he's placed us and what he's given us and understand those things in our lives. Both of them were mightily used in God's redemption story, but they couldn't see that because they were only focused on the other one's story. Stop focusing on other people's story. Let God write yours. Number two, man's scheming cannot stop God's sovereignty. Jacob schemed against his dad and brother in chapter uh, 28. Laban schemed against Jacob in 29. Rachel schemed against Leah, and Leah schemed against Rachel. Deception, polygamy, hatred, and through it all, God was sovereignly working. Just a reminder, in in the situations of life, man isn't in control of all of this. We get so worked up, we're getting ready to go into an election cycle. And people, even believers, will all get all worked up. And I'm not saying we ought not vote. I'm not saying we ought not stand for truth. I'm not saying we ought not vote according to biblical principles. I'm not saying we ought not be salt and light. What I am saying is, don't think that whoever gets elected at the at next November of, is going to be the anti-lives. God, they don't have the, the failure of, of, of our lives. God, they don't have that much power. God's in control. Man's scheming cannot stop God's sovereignty. Number three, man's hatred cannot limit God's love. Do you see it in her children's names? God has seen my affliction. God has heard my affliction. I'm going to praise him. God sees it. God heard Leah's cries. God saw Leah's trials. God heard Rachel's prayers. Jacob mistreated Leah. Leah mistreated Rachel. Rachel mistreated Leah. Laban mistreated Jacob. And God's love rose above all of that mistreatment. Great great reminder for us in whatever we're walking through today. Number four, man's failures cannot thwart God's plan. Similar to point number two. They, they failed. I believe, biblically speaking, the handmaids never should have gotten involved. <laughs> Didn't remind you of anything? Ishmael, Hagar. Biblically speaking, it wasn't. Man made some mistakes in this story. But God took those mistakes and used them for his plan. God still worked things out. Rest in him. When man has failed you, remember that Jesus never has. Can I say that one more time this morning? When man has failed you, remember that Jesus never has. Number five, man's deepest pain can be used to accomplish his greatest purposes. Fourteen years of work to get the wife he wanted. Years of barrenness for Rachel before Joseph was born. Years of raising boys without the love of a husband. All of those can cause deep pain. But remember, God used that pain What man meant for evil, God meant for good. This story is filled with pain, yet God was using it all 
for his purposes to establish the family through which he would send his only begotten son that would become the savior of the world. The one that these young people said, I believe that he died for me and he was buried and he rose again. That savior would come through this crazy, messed up, sin-filled family. Man's deepest pain can be used to accomplish God's greatest purposes. Isn't that what happened on the cross? Jesus endured a death he didn't deserve. And in human form, his deepest physical pain accomplished his deepest spiritual purposes. If you're, you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, I would challenge you. Let the pain and the payment that he made for you on the cross, let it change everything for you. Accept his free gift of forgiveness and of mercy, of love and of salvation. There's a lot to be learned from 25 or 30 verses from a family tree. I texted my wife this week while I was studying for this message, and I said, I'm struggling with this passage. It's a tough one to figure out exactly where to go. It's just, it's a lot of information. And then I felt even doubly like, man, it's not a great message when you've got a good number of guests. It's not a real impressive message, but it's where God had us in the Bible. And I'm committed um, in our church to, to, go, to trying to teach the Bible systematically. There are times we step out of it, but I felt like the study where we needed to be, we've been out of Genesis for quite some time. And by the time I got done studying, Johnny, I, I looked and said, you know, it was just a family tree, but there's a whole lot of takeaways. And I hope that there's at least one here that challenges you to walk closer to Christ this week. Keep your eyes on him. Jesus never fails. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.